Okay, guys, today we've got the infamous Brian Massey, three-time world buck and bronc champion. Three times in a row, we're going to talk risk management and wealth diversity, and we're going to talk about his newest venture, which you're going to want to stay tuned for. So enjoy. Hey, this is Liz, and you're listening to the South CAC Syndicate Podcast. Welcome back to the South CAC Syndicate Podcast. Kyle Voss in the house. Jared here. We got a special guest, Brian Massey. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a long break, long pause with the podcast for everybody that subscribes. I've been in D.C., New York, Florida. You've been Nashville, Nashville Texas, knee just, surgery. Yeah, that's right. All kinds of stuff. We took, uh, yeah, it was kind of a needed break, though, for us. Oh, boy. I say that. If this podcast sucks, maybe we shouldn't have took a break. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just <keep laughs> If we don't do better. our job, it won't suck because we got Brian here. But if, if we don't do our job properly, then... Maybe we're just got some ring rust. Sure. So uh, a lot of stories from from your trips. We want to catch up on not today, but uh, and vice versa. So Brian Massey in the house with us today. He's uh, very interesting. Out of all the guests we've had on, probably one of the more well not well rounded, but done a little bit of everything, hadn't you? Yeah. We've, we've had a lot of different things that we've done for yeah, sure. Yeah, you bet. So we're going to talk about what he's done, and then we're going to let him announce the big, big announcement that he's doing now and what he's working on. So, give us a little bit of, uh, give us a little bit of Brian Massey, man. Well, you know, we can go back a long ways, you know. Sure. But uh, you know, we started out, or I started out, you know, right out of high school, got a job like a lot of people. Got to riding bucking horses in the rodeo. I heard horses that. and all that. So I wound up going to Odessa, Texas, West Texas, on a rodeo scholarship. I found out pretty quick that I, I wanted to ride bucking horses and not so much go to school. So school thing dropped out pretty quick, and I started riding rodeo professionally and uh, spent about 10 years doing that. Okay, uh, traveling, doing doing all the things, man, chasing the money. A, that's a Chris LeDoux song right there, you know? That's right. Old Bareback Jack. Old that's Bear what we were Back doing. Jack. That's my favorite Chris LeDoux song <laughs> ever. That's right. Old Bareback Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I had the honor to see him twice and uh, before his death, untimely death for sure, but great. Man, he influenced so many Bareback, right? So many rodeo guys, so many cowboys, just a huge loss. Yeah, I mean, if, if you had anything to do with rodeo and you've not listened to a lot of Chris Lou, yeah. you've got to kind of question where your rodeo well, background's I get, from. I get right? just That's thinking right. about some of that yeah. stuff. So were you born and raised here? Yep, born and raised in Wahala. Spent most of my time here until we started traveling and rodeoing full-time. Okay, and so then West Texas, and then you traveled around chasing money, riding everything. Well, you must have been pretty good at it, right? You, you, you ranked up there a little bit, didn't you? We did pretty well. I was uh, I won the world championship three years in a row, 97, 98, 99. Uh, I think there's only three people that have done it consecutively like that. You know, a lot of <laughs> people crazy. have won it more, than, more than once, but to do it consecutively. Uh, my son was born in 99, so I was looking for something to do. You know, I mean, that is kind of a young man's game. Yeah. So I was looking for, for my next thing. He's looking for an so, exit. Yeah, yeah. I, how's, I, how's that back doing? You know, <laughs> it has its moments, but, uh, but I, you know, I enjoyed playing a lot of golf and like to stay sure. flexible, but, but I wanted to be able to do that when I got older. So I, I knew that wasn't something I wanted to do forever. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is a crazy business. We was kind of talking about it a little bit before the podcast. I've got a brother-in-law that raises bulls. Just for the PBR, which is a whole business in itself, man. That would be we can make a whole podcast about that. But you know, the bull, the people that own those bulls, make money, just like the riders do mm. on the opposite side. If it bucks, they make money. Right. If it doesn't buck, then the rider makes money. So I'm sure it's probably the same thing with 
all of them, right? I'm sure there's a whole group that raise those bucking horses, bucking horses, right? And they, they're those horses are probably ranked. Yeah, you, they they are. I mean, it's you see it more in the bull riding, you know, because it's kind of like a, watching NASCAR or anything else. People want to see the wrecks, so, <laughs> so you're going to get more of that in the bull riding than you do some of the the other events right so there, there's a little bit of breeding and, and money that goes into the bucking horses and some of that but it is mainly in the bull ride crazy i mean you know i don't know i just like to pull the curtain back on some stuff and be like man there's a whole other business over here that didn't know existed <laughs> what was the purse in the late 90s to a world champion so the the most money i won in any single year was when i won the world championship in 98 Won almost fifty thousand dollars in earnings, uh, and that, also won a, a brand new truck. So, so is that through all the events, or that was just the last, the finals? No, that was for the year end total. Okay, and a truck, and, and a, a truck, truck, forty grand, so about a hundred grand, ninety grand back then. I, was, I mean, not that's hey. pretty good money. And you know, it didn't matter to not to, to go punch a clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty good money. <laughs> it didn't matter much to my wife and I. We just said, hey, if we can give out here and make a living on the road, and I mean, she was out there with me, barrel racing and all that. And that's oh, what cool. we did. So we would leave around May. You know, I mean, I, I raised here, so I grew up on Westminster Highway, just a little bit past WGOG down there. And we'd leave in May and come back around August. I was telling you, you know. Just hit the road. Yeah, let's go. Better back, Jack. I love it. It's crazy. It was a good time. All right. So so when you when you decided that you needed an exit plan because the body wasn't gonna last forever, what was what was kind of going through your mind? Like what what are we gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I really didn't know at the time. I knew I was the plan when I retired was to just kind of rodeo part time, go to the bigger events. Start you know, a, start like a tack business or something. Yeah, do something and then uh I wound up getting my license to sell insurance. So, we, you know, I got into the insurance business, and, you know, you guys want to buy insurance today? <laughs> yeah, that, that was the thing. So I didn't like that a whole lot because I'm not really a, a high-pressure sales guy or anything like that. That's just not me. Now, I love educating people. I love teaching. I love talking and, and educating people about different things, which is part of what we're going to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. at the end here yeah. of what we're doing. But... You know, so I, I met some guys who were in the investment business, and so I transitioned from the insurance world over to the securities and investment world, and that's when I got out of the investment, I mean, out of the rodeo really full-time, transitioned into the investment business that we had, Massey Investment Group, and I did that for almost 20 years, helping people with their retirement and their investments, and Just, we still do that to some degree. So is that like a wealth management? It is. What would you classify that as, wealth management or... Yeah. Wealth management and financial planning. You know, we okay. do the full bone planning. So, which which does involve some insurance, it does some annuities, it does investing in stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, you know, and you know, we did that for the better part of twenty years. It's crazy. Go from bareback to financial. I mean, one stock to another. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> you go. That's right. Commodities to yeah. <laughs> hard paper. <clears throat> That's crazy. I mean, I don't know. You know, I think. It, you know, everything kind of has its uh, similarities, right? When it comes to business, whether it's the business of trying to figure out how to ride an animal to make some money versus how to ride the market, try to make some money. Like it's, <laughs> right? Like it's all, there's there's ebbs and flows to everything. There's That's lessons right. to be learned in all of it. That's right. And, you know, as long as you grab those lessons and apply them down the road, you can, they can always, they can always pay off. Is the investment company still working today? It is. It's under a different name. Sure. You know, uh, I, part of part of educating people and always looking for the, the you know, what I feel is, I, I hate to say best because best is relative to everybody's situation. 
but to what I feel like is a better strategy. And it kind of goes back to the rodeo and the horse days. You know, if, if I'm riding a horse, for, you know, we'll say, and it's, it's got a bad foot, it's lame or crippled or something, well, what are we going to do? What would you do if you were riding a horse and he was sore or hurting? Mm-hmm. Well, you'd, you'd get on a different horse. Right. Right? Yeah. You're going to just keep riding that horse? No, you'd get yeah. on a different horse. Well, I kind of have that mindset, but when I, when I, in 98, when I won the world championship the second time, I had the truck. I didn't know a lot about investing at that time, but I knew that that truck was worth money, but it was also going to lose value. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my wife and I, we made a decision to sell it, went and invested it with a local brokerage firm. We won't call any names sure. here today. <clears throat> and, um, you know, th- the story that we got was the same thing that most people get every day. You know, and this, was, this happened in February of 99. The market started down. The old tech wreck. I don't yeah. know how many of y'all yeah, remember yeah. that. Oh, the listeners can relate to that. Yeah, but, oh, one. You know, all that stuff happening. And, you know, if you go to your financial advisor, your stockbroker, most of them, guess what they're going to tell you? Oh, don't worry about it. It's long-term, buy and hold, ride it out. Well, that didn't sit well with me because I'm like, you know, if you got a crippled horse or something's not yep. working right, get off and get on another one. So it kind of led us into where we developed over time in the investment world, our actively managed model, where we buy, sell, trade, and do that stuff. We don't just kind of sit back and let people lose 30%, 40 50% of their money and say, you know, it's long-term, yeah, it'll, hang it'll in there, ride it out. Yeah. Which, you know, in theory, it should or could over yeah. time. But, you know, I'm a big statistics guy. So statistically, most people are going to spend 60% of their investing lifetime making back money that they already had. So if you could if you could develop an exit strategy, that's, true. that's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Think about the last few years. You know, yeah. you had all this money and it drops. Yeah. Think about 08. Think about 2001, yep. all that stuff. Yep. So you spend a significant amount of your investing lifetime making back money that you had. Yeah. Well, if we could, which we have, developed a strategy, well, let's just say if you could flip that a little bit. What if you only spent forty percent of your investing life making back money you had? That means 60% of the time you're making new highs instead of 40%. Yeah. What do you think that does to your bottom line over time? Not only that, if you can take that, that 20% gap that you just talked about and sell that at the highs and re, re, <clears throat> reappropriate that at the lows, not only are you spending that time making it back, but now you've, you've basically escalated how much you're going to make over the long term anyway because you, know, you took a win and you, you put it in when, there was, when the market was down or you know, whatever. Versus yeah. just riding it out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, well, you know, we, we developed that, and, and that all kind of came to fruition over many, many years, you know, working with that. Because obviously the investment world, broker, deal, they, they don't want you to do that. They want you to just buy and hold. Yeah, they don't want to As long work. as you buy or your clients buy and hold it, the internal fees that they're paying, well, they're getting paid. Yeah. You know, in, in, a, in a normal world, if you sell it and go to cash, like, well, you don't want anything. Yeah. You know, that's why we transitioned over to a fee-only, you know, in fiduciary investment and management firm. I mean, that's what we do. So there's no commissions, none of that stuff. We just get paid to manage the money. Yeah. And so we look at cash as an asset class. You know, if yeah. we sell XYZ stock or whatever and go to cash, that point in time is not about how much money you make. It's, oh, how much can we keep you from losing? Exactly. 
there is no perfect strategy, but when, you know, and we've not talked about it, and we're not going to get in it today, but if I get on a computer and show you the statistics and the academic data behind what we do now currently, then, then it's, it's a very clear representation of a better way to do things. That's yeah. why the, the business now is IQ Capital Strategy, and the tagline is a smarter way to invest. It's not wealth management. It's risk management. Exactly. Yeah. You're just managing your risk and creating wealth but it's yep. not managing wealth and limiting risk yeah it's yep. the opposite yep. that's crazy well said. but but the investing world guess what they focus on just invest your money because that's how they all get paid that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what the money. big firms want yeah the more money they have in their management the more they get paid yeah and they don't think about the the like you said the, the opposite side of that coin is managing risk the better you manage risk really the more money you can make max capital <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then wait. We'll, we went, go a long ways with that one. Oh boy! <laughs> so you went from there to how I kind of currently know you, which is in the grading business, right. which is like another full it's, left turn, right? It's, it's like, so well round. I mean, it's it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a we had a there, in 2017. We started a mutual fund. We we I didn't really want to, but I had to exit the investment business, so we sold it transitioned over, started a mutual fund for a little while. While I had a really good idea, you know, timing is everything, and Wall Street is something that's bigger than what I was prepared for. So we wouldn't fund it well enough to kind of keep the mutual fund alive and running to, to make it do what it needed to do. So that's when we transitioned over and we started a trucking company for a little while, which we still run. Um, you know, have hot shot trucks running up and down the road hauling freight. And then, yeah, like we were talking about, started oh, so the it was grading a freight. Business. It was a freight business. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. So you got into the freight business, still do that? Mm-hmm. Some? We do, yeah. I mean, hell, I passed a Massey dump truck on the way here. Yeah. That's the Massey grading. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, that makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you got into freight and that turned into grading. Well, it was we, kind we started of both. the grading a little bit of both. So okay, the, the trucking company still is over the road, you know, interstate going all over the place. But then we have the grading and clearing business here locally, you know, where we've got you know the dump truck, which you guys see a lot, and you know the land clearing and, and the commercial development stuff that we're into now. So let me ask you this, because you've you've started and done enough stuff that are totally in different worlds. Any advice you could give to somebody that's like wanting to start something new like what i don't know if it's a hurdle you found or like maybe like a mantra you stick to or something that that you just kind of you've noticed in these worlds that you've started you know because when you go from getting in the rodeo world to investment world to trucking and grade like you none of those really it's not like you have a buddy of yours intertwine yeah it's not like you have a buddy of yours that helps you get into this little mm-hmm. so how you know Maybe some struggles you you found along the way, or something you kind of go back to all the time. And you're like that that one thing is what's got me, got me where I'm at in all these different businesses or successes. I guess. Yeah, that's um, that's a big question. Um, there, there's there's been a lot that's happened that that kind of you can sit back and reflect on. One of the things though that that I think is really important to me is, you know, when you find something if you're passionate about it. And, and you, you, you know, this is what I tell any of the, the truck drivers, the guys that work for us, any of that stuff. You know, if, if you do what you say you're going to do, you know, show up when you say you're going to show up, and you do good work, you know, running or having a business is not a big problem. 
you know, especially yeah. in today's time. Now, we all know that's a scarcity. You know, people don't, you know, how, how many times do you call somebody and they don't call you back? Yeah. Or, or they say they're going to do something and they don't do it. Or even they say they're going to do it, but when they do it, the job is less than what's desirable. You know, so, so that's a big thing for us or for me is, you know, whatever we're doing, I want to be passionate about it. You know, if I, if I can't be passionate about it and, and really feel like we can do a, an extraordinary job, I really don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and and that changes over time. You know, the, the first change was with the rodeo, and I knew I couldn't do that forever, you know, and then the investment thing, the broker-dealer world did not like active management, so we had to stop that, change that, and revamp it to what it is today where, you know, I've got my own RIA firm, you know, fiduciary. We do what we want to do. There's nobody telling us how right. to do it. Now, obviously, there's rules and laws we have to go by mm-hmm. like anything else. You know, with the grading, trucking, all that. You know, I mean, if if you if you do what you say you're gonna you're, you're gonna do. So you know, I mean, that's 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 saying, that's a big thing. That's a big principle to me. So you're saying, no matter what the business is, customer service, and I guess that's not a, a great term, but like taking care of the customer first. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what you do. That is your business. I mean, that's it. Integrity, morals. You That'll know, make I mean, you successful over the long I'm also, term. I'm also hearing adapt or die. Yeah. Right, you, nobody, nobody's met an eighty-year-old bronc rider that, that <laughs> won right. the champion last year. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, but I'm serious. So everything that happens when the industry changes and, and this this is going sideways, we got to adapt or die. The this thing, will push us into a different category, you know, different business, the, and we just keep moving forward. The thing for me though is it's kind of impressive about this is that he could have been, you know, he's a three-time, you know, title winner in bronc riding. He could have easily been like. We're going to start our own saddle company. We're going to start our own mm-hmm. whatever company, right? Mm-hmm. That was right in line with what he did. So the fact that he just like completely reinvented himself over and over to me is like, okay, that's crazy. There's got to be like a, a, a thread in there that is the same through all those though. Well, let's talk about that transition when you made that decision that you got to not show up on the sawdust floor and the in the dirt arenas anymore, you know, was that a, was that a hard thing to give up that lifestyle to sit, you know, maybe desk job it for a while? Um, you know, it, looking back on it, it probably was harder than what I realized at the time. Um, like I said, I didn't really plan on retiring. I was at the international finals rodeo in Oklahoma city, January of 2000, really the end of the 99 season. And, you know, believe it or not, there's some politics and, you know, there are two judges out there judging how you do. Right. And, you know, South Carolina is not really the epicenter of cowboy capital. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, we're now working on the third consecutive world title, and there were there was a little bit of resentment from sure. west of the Mississippi, we'll say. And so the political environment, you know, I wanted to, to help make rodeo a better sport. So when I saw things happening, like them not – judging correctly and i wanted to take that up with people they just thought that i was complaining because i wasn't winning enough well i was winning enough i was winning a championship i mean what yeah, are you yeah. talking about but but you know and so it just got to be like I said, it, it wasn't fun anymore yeah and so at that event when there was a there was a pivotal thing that which we don't need to go on into today but there was a pivotal event and i'm like you know what i don't need this anymore i'm gonna do something different and we I'm just done. you know stop drop and roll and go do something else that's cool and okay, so that makes sense too. And you, the year before, you won the truck, which got your mind going around the whole investment side. That's right. It was it kind of trans. It was it's kind of natural, you know. I mean, I mean, my faith is real strong to me, you know. And, and yep. so, I think 
you know, when, when you're just doing what you love to do and, and you're, you're, you're doing it with integrity and, and certain doors open and you just kind of don't be afraid to, to go where, where you need to go. Now, that yeah. don't mean you go with the flow and you do things you shouldn't do. I mean, you know, I'm not saying just go where the wind blows, but, but you know, there's a definite difference in, in, in when doors open and things kind of naturally happen, you know, and you just go where, where your God-given talents and abilities will take you without fear and right. you don't worry about what people think i think so many people are afraid to jump off that ledge of an unhappy work environment or something and they're passionate about something else but don't want to do it because they're afraid of what their peers might think yeah oh right. he had a good job why did he do good that job. now yeah. he's not making anything well he's golfing four days a week yeah <laughs> he's still got the same house well it's like, the failure part that everybody's afraid of right they don't want to fail on somebody else in, in front, front of somebody yeah. else but listen you'll fail many times how many times did you start something and it not work out once well, most people fail a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's turn it around. How many of them how many of them barebacks you get on that you couldn't ride? There you go. No, I mean in and the early won, days still won yeah, a championship. Yeah. In like, the early days there was a lot. Yeah. You know, but I, I'll tell you a real quick story talking about that when I was getting in the investment business and it was tied to the financial planning and, and insurance world. The guy was kind of interviewing me and said, Okay, well let's talk about your insurance. And he said Sorry. <laughs> he said well, so you, you must have had a lot of injuries. You got to have bad health. I'm like, look, you don't win three world championships and get bucked off and hit the ground a lot. So I'm in pretty good shape. So <laughs> I was fortunate in that regard. But in the yeah. early days, it was very, very rough. But, I'm you sure. know, I told people a lot of times, all you have to do in a rodeo world to do any good is just be too dumb to let go. Yeah. That's me, you know. <laughs> hang on. Yeah, hang How on. can it be? <laughs> hey, that works for the business world too, right? Well, yeah, and in right. startups, you don't have a choice, right? right. You just hang right. on and ride out yeah. the ups and downs. Yeah. And it's, uh, we, we talk about quite often that sometimes ignorance is bliss. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to your hang on. Yeah. You know, and sometimes like we've gotten into businesses like we had no idea what the hell we're doing. We're hiring lawyers in, in Nashville trying to get in the music business. We, we don't have, know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we have started. Oh, yeah. But sometimes ignorance is bliss because it allows you to move. Yeah. You, you know, mean, if you're you go ahead. too educated on whatever the subject is, you might talk yourself out of doing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. You That's know? right. I mean, I've said many times that some people are... They're educated beyond their own intelligence, you know? That's what you're yeah. saying. I mean, some yeah, things exactly you just right. don't need to know until you need to know. Well, I think the key to everything is movement, right? If you, if I don't care how much you know, if you're not trying to execute on what you know, you're not going to do anything. You could know everything in the world. If you're not moving on it, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, decisions aren't steadfast. You know, what you decide today change tomorrow. can change tomorrow. Yeah. Just don't be afraid of that. That's right. You know, I mean, like I was telling you guys earlier, you know, one of the other things that I've got involved with, with the, you know, my, my leadership and all the stuff we've done, all these different businesses is a certified coach and speaker through the John Maxwell program. Mm -hmm. Well, I was at one of the conferences one time and, and a guy in the crowd says, hey, John, I don't like my job. What should I do? Quit. He, yeah. He paused for a minute, looked at everybody and looked him right in the eye and says, quit. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, just quit. Do something else. If you don't like what you're doing. Yeah, we've told people you know, that, and we're not even certifiable. I mean, we're certifiable, certifiable. But we're not certified. <laughs> not in the right areas. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, just, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you have to have a certain amount of diligence with that. Yeah. But if you don't like what you're doing, find either within yourself or someone yep. else to help coach and lead you to, to change that situation and do what you love there's, to do. There's a song that I love. By shout out to the hustle standard, and nobody's gonna know who I'm talking about. I do, but uh, he's got a song in there, and one of the lyrics goes, uh, Regret is the ghost that haunts. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, 
And it goes back to what you're saying. Like, if you don't like what you're doing, quit. Quit doing it. Because one day you're going to regret the fact that you spent your entire life doing something you didn't want to do. I have way more fear of regrets than I do fear of failure. Yeah. Because at least I can say, oh, I did that. May yeah. not have worked out. Maybe it did, but I, I did still it. did it. Yeah, and I can talk about it now. I know about it. On a podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> if you hadn't heard my album, you can find it on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and join the other 11 monthly listeners that enjoyed that album as well. <laughs> but I did it. That's right. You know, hey, that's what matters. It doesn't matter to that's me. You know what's crazy about that, though? If you were like big stage in it right now, yeah. it wouldn't be, you wouldn't talk no, about right. it like you talk about it now. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. You just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think it's time for us to take a break. We get back. We're going to talk about the newest. It's going to be fun. Venture that Mr. Massey's going out on, which is another left turn. Huge. We'll yeah. be we'll be right back. Right after these messages. Let's face it. Shopping for insurance can be time consuming. When it comes to your auto and home insurance needs, make things simple and trust your Allstate experts. They will help you get the coverage that fits your needs while helping you bundle your auto and home. Bundling saves money, sure, but it also saves you time. So you can enjoy the things that matter most even more. Contact Clemson Allstate agent Shane Smith at 864-654-1047 today for a free personalized insurance proposal. Allstate, are you in good hands? Okay, we're back. We are back with Brian Massey. The break took a little longer than we expected. Y'all didn't know it on your end, but during the break, we were all tasting <laughs> bourbon from everywhere on this end. Bourbon so, and brandy. And brandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a girl. So, so. That was not her name. <laughs> yeah, that was, not her uh, name. That was, that was very interesting. I got schooled on a, on a what makes a bourbon and how and why, and, I, and it all becomes relevant, Brian, because... That's what's next, right? That that's the next venture. You know, I mean, the grading company's going great. Everything's awesome there. You know, everything's rolling right along. But I've developed a, a little bit of a passion for bourbon and and some good spirits along the way. And so we're in the process of opening a, a distillery here in Seneca, South Carolina. That's, super super excited about this. That is, you know, we've only got one that I can think of. Uh, in Long Creek, Long Creek. But, oh yeah, uh, in Oconee County, I think. Yeah. When they're not, do they, do they, they classify themselves as a bourbon? They, they, they classify as a distillery. A distillery. You yeah, know, they, they have moonshine. They do a lot of brandies. I think they've got a bourbon. You yeah. know, they've got some different stuff. See, I, like yeah. when I think of them, and I also think of the one at Anderson, I think of them more as a moonshine. Mm, Palmetto. Oh, Palmetto moonshine. moonshine yeah. you know. Right. You've got well, Greenville. Me, in Greenville, there's uh, six and 20. Six and 20 over the, yeah, like you're going at the end of Powdersville. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to be more on, you're, you're going to probably produce everything, but you're going to be, like the namesake's going to be more of the bourbon side, right? That's where your passion is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're you know, the, really our specialty product will be a bourbon. You know, we're going to make a rye. You know, I mean, and a lot of people don't like rye, but what you'll find out if if a rye is done well and treated with the same care yeah. as a bourbon, it can really be smooth and good. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, but then we'll have a vodka and a gin. We're going to have a lot of what we call RTDs, ready to drinks. I mean, how many times have you gone to a bar and ordered an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a Bloody Mary? They poured out of one. Well, and, and you, you get it, and, and depending on who the bartender is, it tastes different. Oh, yeah, every time. Every, every time. Every time. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to have, you know, those things produced, you know, in the bottle or on tap, where when you get it, it doesn't matter who the bartender is, if it's me or, or one of you guys. It's ice. You mean, it's going to be the same thing, pre-made, pre-made ready old, to drink. Get 
Get Chuck Riston to work on your old-fashioned recipe. I'm not an old-fashioned guy. but Chuck and made, I developed that together. That's where uh, that came from. He made one in Listen, here. Truth, truth be told, it. Chuck probably learned that from him. Yeah. Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> but it, it was still a great old-fashioned. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what we'll do. So that thing will be ready. You'll be able to buy it in a bottle off the shelf, take it home, pour it over ice, and, it'll be and like enjoy you, it. It'll be like you made every drink it'll I had. It'll be like me sitting there making it for you. Oh, that's really, that's really good. So you hadn't announced this to the public yet, so you're hearing it here first. What's the name of this distillery? It's going to be called Two Horse Distillery. And based on the first half of this podcast, I'm assuming that – bareback bronc riding and and horses came into play while you're naming this it did it this kind of goes back to my wife and i on the road traveling you know and then having our you know our kids and all that we've got two children so you know the two of us with horses the two kids and it just kind of made sense to get back to our roots and you know call it something that was going to be really good and you know there's things that that we love you know we haven't talked about it today but i mean anybody that's listening that hadn't watched lonesome dove <sighs> and and if you don't love that my then favorite. i don't know if you're american or not <laughs> you know of course in the words of movie of all time in, in the words of captain call i'm as american as anybody but that's right and we don't rent pigs <laughs> and we don't but, <laughs> so you know i mean we're kind of just kind of closing this well i hope we're not closing the game out but we're kind of just going back to a lot of the things that, that brought us together you know yeah yeah you know, with, with my wife and i and you're riding off the and, and this is you know it's, it's a passion it's fun and you know i want to share with people what what quality spirits should taste like regardless of what profits and shareholders you know are talking about from a sure. true artisan craft distiller yeah yeah it's not about making a ton of money it's about being true to the true to the game That's true right. to the, the craft that's awesome so really i'm just thinking about this we've had two guests on the podcast and after the podcast They've opened up two businesses less than a couple hundred yards apart. We've got Rabbit, who we have. Oh, yeah, on, yeah. And he just opened up a shop down from your new location. And then we've got Two Horse Distillery on well, today. That he's Chuck's fixed. basically across the street. Oh, and Chuck. Mm-hmm. And the third yeah. one. Yeah. Well, we, we have grabbed that whole little stretch of highway. That's the whole a, bounty land. That's, I mean, that's your stomping ground, right? That's uh, <laughs> at one time. <laughs> Many years ago. <laughs> Wow. Uh, um, so, yeah. So what, what are we looking at? Let's kind of back up just a little bit. How did, how did this, how did this all come? I mean, I know you're passionate about it and I kind of feel the same way that you, you do. I mean, me and you, obviously different paths. We've kind of crossed over the bourbon side of it at some friend's house. Um, but we've kind of experienced the same things. I mean, is that, I guess maybe you're more of the action guy where I'm like, man, it'd be cool to have my own distillery, but <laughs> I just don't do it. Yeah. He does the opposite. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to open one up. I know a lot about this industry. I can hire some people to maybe teach me some things I don't know. But we're going to make it happen, like on the action side. That's what I love about it. It's like uh, I don't have to have an MBA, but I can hire four MBAs you know, to yeah. run a business. So that's kind of what you're doing in some aspect, but you're passionate about bourbon. Right, so that's exciting. So, what's your time frame looking like? You know, we're hoping to have this thing open sometime this fall. You know, I mean, we're still waiting on you know some things to happen to, to get our distiller's license and some of that stuff. So, the time frame's kind of up in the air a little bit right now. But, but we're hoping this fall or you know early winter, you know, at some point. I've learned more about bourbon since we started this uh, podcast than I have Q2 ever. And- Chuck, yeah, you know, doing old fashions. Brian in here now. Uh, one of the things I learned was to be classified as bourbon, it has to be in a 
white oak, American white oak barrel. New. Charred. New, charred, white oak. That's it. It can't be any other barrel. It can't be any other wood. It can't be used. It has to be charred. Yep. Mm -hmm. That that is. There's a couple things. The mash bill has to be a percentage of corn. 51% or more. That's crazy. Or more. Yeah. But we does not have to be Kentucky. It's not Kentucky. See, I think that's a... Uh, Kentucky bourbon. It's going to be classified as Kentucky bourbon. I, I always thought it was like there's a, a geographical line and it's whiskey on one side and bourbon on the other. Well, that's the myth in the industry. But, that, you know, that's that, right. That's, that's not, that's not no, really apparently true. Apparently not. If you follow the rules, you know, like I said, 51% corn, can't be charcoal colored or filtered or colored, you know, new American white oak barrel, you know, that certain, has to be aged at least two years. You know, certain things like that, yeah. you know, you can do it. And, you know, obviously we want to we want to do all that. So I think what there's, a, there's a lot of myths or, or I like to call them shenanigans in the industry. You know, one of the big things that we'll talk about real quick is the mm-hmm. the aging of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many how many times do you and I'm not saying that everybody does this. I'm just telling you, you that see, what can happen. You see like a 12 year is more in false terms of 12 years technically they're saying it's better than say a 10 year that's right you're saying it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i mean the taste is the taste i mean today there's no regulations on this so you could take a a barrel that is 10 or 15 years old at that point in time because of angel share which we can get into you know but because of evaporation and certain things there's not a lot left in the barrel at that point you know due to evaporation but they could take what little bits left in that 15 year barrel put it in four different two-year barrels and call, and call it a 15. all five all four of those barrels 15-year bourbon yeah. so you really don't know what you're drinking unless you're truly drinking a single barrel right. bourbon right so you're saying my 12-year-old pappy is could be potentially different than my 25-year-old no no what I he's mean, saying I, is that your 12-year-old pappy could be better than the 25-year-old because age doesn't matter and he's also he's also saying that, that 25-year-old pappy might be a small percentage of 25 years age. The rest of it might be newer bourbon. That's right. You can we don't know. It, you can blend it however you want, unless it's a single barrel, which you can do, which is why you see, you remember the single Remember the single barrel we had that had a, it was a barrel pick that uh, I think Hugh got for us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, gone yeah, yeah. now. It's a Woodford Reserve. Yeah. What happens is they go in there, they pick a single barrel by taste. Hmm. So potentially we could do this in his distillery one day. We could go in there and say, hey, we want to buy a barrel. We want to buy the whole barrel. We're going to name the most it. dangerous thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to name it the South Cag Syndicate Barrel. We get to pick. So he's going to take us through. We get yeah. to taste. Mm-hmm. We find the barrel that we like, right? And so that is the bar- That is the South Cag Syndicate Barrel pick, which is what you see on all these bottles oh, yeah, sometimes. That's yeah. right. On that blue label there, yeah. it's, it says vanilla something, but that's who picked it, not yes. the taste yes. of the yeah. bourbon. The downfall of that is that like... Somebody else may not like our pick. Yeah, it doesn't really mean shit because yeah. we may not know what the hell we're talking about, right? Is that where you unplug the hole and put the syringe down yeah, and pull it yeah. back up, or either pump it into yeah. a glass? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. then that's the single barrel, like, and then what they would do is they would literally bottle all that whole barrel for you as a single single barrel South Cac Syndicate private label it to you barrel pick, right? So that's your sink. But now what happens a lot of times in the industry is that, and this is really what should happen in my personal opinion, is you get people who know what they're doing to take those barrels and then blend them. Um, I've been to some distilleries where they'll basically rate the barrels, and I'm sure you'll probably do this mm-hmm. the same way. We'll rate them. So you'll rate it for color. You'll rate it for a taste. You'll rate it for different things. A barrel that has really good taste may not have really good color. 
You then pair that with a barrel that maybe not has the greatest taste, but has really good color. Oh, and literally mix them together. And you blend blend it to get the taste profile you're looking for. And so then what happens is, and that's majority of what happens in this industry, is that what you drink in these bottles is not from one single barrel. They take a bunch of barrels, blend them to make it consistently the same bourbon they blend all the time. Unless it's single barrel. Unless it's single single barrel. barrel. Yes. Single barrel. And it's proof down to whatever proof is on the bottle, unless it says cast strength. Yeah, and then it's, it's going to come off at 116 or it's coming off whatever out of the it is. Barrel. It's going to come out with a very high proof. Yeah. And oftentimes it'll taste hot. And that hot taste that you're getting is probably not due to the alcohol content, but how it was distilled and where the cuts were made. Big, big difference. So there's a lot that goes into it. Like we could, I'm telling you, if we go. Have you been a bourbon guy since the bareback days? No, no. Actually, when when we were rodeoing, I took that very seriously. I didn't drink at all. You know, I mean, my whole thing That's was, why you're world champion, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had that's a lot right. of friends in that circuit. They, <laughs> they didn't do it. Who <laughs> could? <laughs> my, my whole thing was TCB, you know, taking care, Take of, business. care of business. So, Get that money. So I'd be in the, in the truck. We'd be in the car. I'd get... I'd ride, I'd go take care of stuff, get back, get a good night's sleep. Meanwhile, everybody else is going out, partying, doing her thing. I'm like, that's fine. You just keep doing that. Pay your entry fees tomorrow. I'm good. That's right. And I'll outride so, you. Don't worry about it. That's right. I'm going to feel good and ride good, and we're going to mm. do good. But it was only really till I was in my mid to late 40s before I started really drinking bourbon or really much at all. You know, I spent the majority of my life not. And then, of course, the reason why, which is why we're doing what we're doing, is, you know, you take a drink of something and it burn or it's hot or it just doesn't yeah. taste good. I'm like, what? what's so good about this? But then as I started learning more about it, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say first thing while we're talking about how adventurous I am with business and all that stuff, I'm also a really big chicken. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm afraid of the law. So I didn't want to get in any trouble because sure. I'm like, I want to make some moonshine. I want to learn yeah. how to do this. But yeah. I was scared, you know, really. He's, I mean, I just, yeah, I'm not going to cross that line. I don't need somebody making an example out of me or going to jail. You sure. know, yeah, I've yeah. never been there and I don't want to go. So, mm-hmm. you know, didn't want to go that. But so I've had that interest develop a long time. And then, of course, we've gone to Kentucky and to different states and, and done, done uh, bourbon tours and done this stuff and as i started learning more and more about it i found out that that burn and that unflavorful taste really comes from how it's distilled and where where the cuts are made yeah not so much the bourbon itself yeah and there's a lot there's a lot to be said too for like the big guys i'm not gonna name any names but they sacrifice some taste for quantity right because when you when you when you're talking about cuts and and and, and like how much they dilute it afterwards to kind of distill it down to, I don't know if distill it down is the right word. What is it? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's just where you make your cuts. They proof it. Where, where, where they proof it, right? Some of them, they'll proof it way down to make it less hot, but they also make more product by doing that. Yeah. By, by what? Money. By adding a cutting agent? Water. Well, they'll add water, distilled water, oh. you know, in there, you know, uh, or spring water. You know, you, you're not going to use any kind of city water yeah. in there, but where you might. So here's the thing. Through the the process, fermentation is where your alcohol is made. It's the only place. And the, the steels don't make alcohol. They just separate. Them. Yeah, right. And they separate water from the, from alcohol. Good alcohol from, from the bad, bad alcohol. alcohols. Yep. So on average, if you go to the store and you pick up a bottle of bourbon, on average, you're going to have around 60 to 70 different types of alcohol in there. Anything that comes off the steel above 185, 190 proof, I mean, uh, 90 degrees, it, those are fusel alcohols. Fusel alcohols are very oily. I mean, you can, you know, when you watch a still run, you can see it yeah. swirling. You can see the oil in there. Well, that oil, when you drink that, 
and it tastes so good for a minute or it may not depending on mm -hmm. what it is but that burn comes in at the very back of your throat you know people think that's because of the alcohol contents too high proof no it's because it has too much fusel alcohol it's very oily it sticks to the back of your throat and it burns yeah so if we don't put that in the bourbon so guess cut, what if you cut that, that what we were talking about earlier off air yeah how smooth it is yeah. it's because it doesn't have that in it now, it's the same thing, if you yeah. get anything that comes off, you know, your lower alcohols are going to start coming off the steel and evaporating, you know, or distilling at around 130-something, 140 degrees on up. Those are, are you know, I don't, I don't want to get too technical here, but that, that a lot of those are what's going to go within there, and that's what's going to cause your hangover effects if yeah. people are hit with a thump, headache, and all that. So if we take that out, you know, you're going to have less of an impact of that. So your overall experience that. is going to be much better. Yeah. But... When it comes to corporate America, guess what? You got to leave a lot of that. They want to have all the, a lot more of. They expand that range in there. What we're going to be making will probably have around eleven to fifteen, you know, alcohols in it because it's the best of the best in there. Now we're going to put out a lot less volume, right? But the volume will be better. That's the difference between you know, like a craft distiller, you know, don't have to answer to shareholders and have huge, huge profits versus, you know, yep. some of the big names. Now the other thing is when you find out a lot of these big-name distilleries, and again, I'm not going to name them, they're owned by foreigners. You know, right. They're yeah, not yeah, American. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, uh, bourbon is an American We went spirit. through that with the beer world for a while when yeah. craft beer started selling out to That's right. And overseas. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fine. They can own what they own. But, you know, for us, the, mm -hmm. the, the true heritage heritage of it is what's important. So, yeah, what's well, even like InBev is not owned by an American company. You know that, right? right? I'm sorry, say it again. Anheuser-Busch, InBev. What about them? They're not owned by an American company. That's right. Yeah. That's an overseas deal. So yeah. your Bud Lights, your Bud, everything that you think is American uh -uh. is not owned by an American company. That's right. It's still produced, manufactured, and grown here, but it's not owned. It is. I'm going to stay yeah. on topic because we could go somewhere else with that. But yeah. <laughs> we went there. We probably, we had a whole podcast. We, right oh, there. it's terrible. <laughs> Golly day. Terrible right now. So let me ask you this. When you're talking, I know you that you're just now started groundbreaking. So it's very new, very exciting. There's two questions I've got for you. One is, pretty sure city water goes through there. Are you going to be using city water? Are you digging a well? Are you pumping water in? That's actually a really good question. So water you know, we'll, important. We'll right? yeah, it's very I'm a, important. I'm a water guy, man. <laughs> like I'm picky yeah. about my bottle of water. Yeah. It's 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 really important. So you know, our facilities will have city water. You know, for for all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But as far as the distillation process goes, we'll be digging a well. You know, and and you know, making sure that we've got good water. So I mean, once we get a little bit through there, we've got, yet? no, we'll dig it and test it and, you know. Filter I mean, it as needed. You know, I've got yeah. another company that would tank water to you by the tractor trailer. It's <laughs> a conversation to be had. I mean, it's, I mean, if, if we don't have good well water, that's what we'll do. I mean, I know a lot of distillers that have to bring it in, but luckily where we live, no I mean, doubt. there's I some of the that. best water in the country yeah, with right. the spring heads and, you know, in the lakes and the rivers and, yeah. and stuff around here. I don't, I don't anticipate having any problem getting good you know, high quality water. But if we do, sure. then, you know, you can't do it. You've got two options if, if the well doesn't work. You know, you're either going to have to filter it and run it through some kind of water filtration process. And that's good. You get a bunch of the chlorine and the yep. bad stuff out. Or but you're losing in. a lot of the flavors that are going to come in through the minerals and stuff in the water. That's important. And you can't, that's very important. So you, you know, you, you get a filter system to take that out or you have to bring it in. I yeah. looked at buying a water bottling company probably 10, 10, 12 years ago. And it I was, think you look every two years. It was a local company at this time, and it was just stopped operating. And I just saw opportunity there. One of the conversations that the owner had told me was, 
a guy from Miller Brewing came down and said, this is the best water we've ever seen. What will you sell it to us by the tractor trailer loads? Not talking bottled water. We're going to pull up a sterilized tanker, and we're filling the whole tanker up. To make beer. To make summer shandies. Because mm-hmm. they needed a specific water for the summer shandy. It's a different water than the regular beer. I don't know any of the ins and outs, but I'm just going, and you, and you shut your doors. <laughs> Yeah, that's when you're yeah, like, why did you do that? What in the world were you thinking? <laughs> I wouldn't have done that, I don't no. think. <laughs> and it's and it goes back. <laughs> they didn't back, ask me, did they? <laughs> it goes back to um, uh, BMW will outsource their water because obviously Greenville Municipality doesn't have good enough water to make their paint. So they will outsource their water for their paint mixtures. Mm-hmm. Water plays yeah. just an important aspect of your, but probably number one. Yeah, I mean, water, the, the two biggest things, I mean, obviously your mash bill and, and all that's going to be very important, but but your water is going to be a huge part of that. You know, your yeast makeup is going to be another big mm-hmm. part. And then the part that, that we really can't control. I mean, it goes out and it's in God's control. Literally. It's the <laughs> barrel. That's right. You know, the yeah. barrel because, you know, once once we have that barrel, that new wide oak American charred barrel, and we put that in there, it's going to have to age for three to seven years typically. And we don't know what we're going to get. That, that, and so that's why age truly doesn't matter. You, you know, I've seen some three-year barrels that taste better than a seven-year barrel. Yeah. You know, so, so you have to go in and you have to taste those barrels every, and rate them every year. Yes, every year. And, so and, and awesome. find out what you've got, you know. And then so, you know, that, that's a big key, you know. And it's, it's kind of. I think that's the thing I love the most about it, though, mm-hmm. is that <clears throat> age. Like, you can't just, you can't just go. A week ago, make me a bourbon that's going to taste good. It's got to sit and Can age. we start a barrel-making company for I'm buying? sure you can. We could yeah. we could supply him with all his barrels. What do they call what it? There's, a, there's a name need? for that company. What do they call <laughs> those? Those are your, oh, gosh, you did. Stave. Uh, uh, what do they uh, call it? barrel stays, but you're, uh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you. Uh, so, anyway, cigars is another reason I love. It's the same thing with a cigar. You can't just go roll some uh, fresh tobacco off a plant and make a good cigar. It ha- God has to do his thing uh, to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Other things. We've talked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and then the second piece is where, where do you rank, where do you see two horse distillery being in the, the big game market? Do you see it medium shelf average Joe? Do you see it top shelf to some of the, you know, Blanton's, the other guys. And when I, when I ask that question, I, I want to follow up with price point as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the thing about it is, and, and so I've got a consultant that's helping me with this. He's got some very high-quality sure. award-winning bourbons out there, and that's who I'm kind of hired as a consultant to help Smart. us get started and make this happen. Um, you know, and I, I'll just pick this up from him, you know, and I believe the same thing. We want you to be able to play with your toys. What good is a $300 bottle of bourbon or, or $2,500 bottle of bourbon if you won't drink it? Mm-hmm. You know, so so we're going to come in, uh, you know, with, with probably have two different – bourbons and they'll probably be in the 35 to 40 dollar price point you know then we'll have another one you know that and depending on what we do that's probably going to be in the 50 to 60 dollar price point they will they will be comparable to a lot of your higher end 75 to 150 dollar bourbons but we want to keep that price point down where people can actually enjoy it a you know, drink quality, a high quality so bourbon. So you're going quality and quantity. You want to yeah. be affordable and enjoyable. That's right. I mean, what good is it if you won't drink it? You yeah. know, now, I mean, no, that's you know, right. And that's the thing. So we'll have a, a lower price point bourbon that, that'll be good for you to make your cocktails, mixers, and all that. Why would you take a high-dollar bourbon and, and, and mix, it with Coke. It to mix it with Coke? Now, oh. you can do that if that's your thing. But, oh, yeah. but, but we'll have oh. just a, a good quality 
you know, yeah. lower, lower, more, more affordable bourbon to do yeah, that yeah. with. But then if you want to sit and have a nice bourbon that's neat, that, that is comparable with a lot of the award-winning higher-end things, then we'll have that too. And it'll probably be in that 50 to $60 range. We're yeah. not looking to, you know, go out and yeah, yeah, have yeah. a two or $300 bottle of bourbon because it shouldn't cost that much. You're right. Really well, the barrel we pick might go for that much. <clears throat> yeah. Well, just because you guys have your names on it. Not mine, $2,500 bottle of bourbon. I opened up a <laughs> bottle of, uh, I don't remember if it was 12 or 20-year-old Pappy, the, the day I got married. I was like, this sat on a shelf long enough. Can't, I had two of my best friends, Hugh and George, in the living room. And Megan was already at the venue getting ready. And George is like, well, if there's a day to pop the... Cork on Today that is thing. the day. Today is the day. Because <laughs> yeah. we all been looking. Was it old rib or was years. it pappy? What was it? I think it. I don't remember. Yeah, it was one of the had some ages on it. Though. One of the pappies or one of the vans. I don't remember. Yeah. Um. So we all did a shot, and off to the wedding we go. It was okay. Not a bourbon guy, <laughs> but whatever. So this bottle is now open. So my game warden buddy that always comes to the house, he's like, oh, "Is that bottle open?" Pops a coke. No. Shut your mouth. No go, way. Go, 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 go. I went, nah, man. You didn't just, I don't, I'm not a bourbon guy, but I know better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like my Coke and bourbon. Yeah. Well, that, listen, well, don't, you, just man. don't pick that. Because <laughs> bourbon's not going to, it's not going to taste any better when you put Coke in You it. owe me you a couple hundred bucks for yeah. that, that glass. You know what but. is good, though, is when you take a good, any bourbon, really. Now, it doesn't even have to be like an old rip or just a good bourbon. You dip your cigar in there. When you smoke, that's that's the that's the mix right there. Some good bourbon meat with a cigar. You dip the two together. You'll bourbon. be in trouble with this because this you've got a straight shot to your house, pretty much. Yeah, I'm gonna be in trouble thing. when he gets open. I'm gonna be like the regular. I'm gonna be. Yeah. What is it from? Cigar lounge in the back. <laughs> you you could sell outside. cigars out of there for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Well, man, listen, I'm super excited for your for hearing your past ventures. You're just a well-rounded, diverse guest to have on the podcast, which is awesome. Congratulations on your three championships. That's that's no small feat. Yeah, I mean, he was showing us big, the belt buckles earlier. That's a big deal. And uh, congratulations on breaking ground for your new distillery, Brian. This has uh, been a great podcast, and we appreciate having you on for sure. And so as you get through this process, we'll probably call you up and say – Come fill us in on where you're at now yeah. and what we've done. We'd love to do sh the show live from there when you get open. Yeah, and then we need to schedule a tour somewhere <laughs> beforehand. I need to, I need to get some <laughs> education leveled up on my bourbon here, so we'll all get together and take a road trip somewhere. Yeah, we need we need to get you a little more well versed in, in what's going on there. And I, I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you for everything. Thank and you if, so much. anytime y'all want to do it again, just let me know. We'll do, guys. Thanks, we appreciate guys. it. Talk to you soon. See you next week. See ya. <laughs>